Here to score it for us is the master of disaster public relations specialist, Mike Paul. Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor. Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert. He's all about reputation. Got some tips on rebuilding those reputations. You first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on a truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across-the-board solution that is more than words, and you've got to have actions. Let's do this! Welcome to this week's episode of Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul, the Rep Doc. This week's guest is Dr. Glenn Losek who is an MD who practices in the field of psychiatry. He is also a photographer, a world-class photographer, who has been taking photos for many, many years, award-winning, 40 years worth of photos in a new book. Here it is, called The Bonds We Share, Images of Humanity 40 Years Around the Globe. Dr. Losek, Glenn, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's all I could say. I'm honored. Well, we're, we're honored to have you. We're honored to have your photographs. Tell us what it's like to have traveled the globe for more than 40 years, to have a collection of your photos. I'm going to frame it right away. As you know, my expertise is reputation. Am I wrong to say that based on what I've seen in these photographs, it is not just your average photography book? Could I claim it as social activism through photographs? And what does that mean? I, I would say that because the theme of the book is a commonality of human, humanity that we are pretty much more the same than different as human beings. That's what the portrayal is. Sweet, short and sweet. We live in a world, though, that is the opposite of that. That highlights our differences. That highlights the differences of race. You have people of color throughout your book, for example. Those from Bangladesh. Those from India. Those from the city of New York. In other areas around the globe. What do you say that someone that sees this book and just sees you as a white man and focused just simply on many pictures of people of color and their culture, different languages, foods, religions, faith. And says, why are you doing this? Okay, so they need, need to read the preface. If they can, you know, they'll understand more about what the, the basic, under, the undertone of the book. Why so I'm, what is the preface? That basically what uh, unites us is stronger in every sense, than the borders that divide us through. And all this divisiveness and all this hatred, this bigotry, you know, the, the, the out external appearance of a human being. I mean, to me, that's not important. Although there are beautiful people of all kinds, but what unites us is that we have 46 chromosomes. Did you know that, Mike? Yes, that I know. 22 pairs are autosomes and the others are sex. So we're pretty much microscopically and macroscopically pretty similar. Well, we also have the same color blood, don't we? Yes, we do. And you give me your heart, and I always give you my heart if I needed it. And a kidney, yeah. I got a kidney. We have always 
had that amongst us as friends. We've known each other for quite some number of years now. And uh, so let's talk about, and we'll be having, thanks for your blessing, some of your photos throughout this episode for people to see. And we'll continue to show the cover of the book throughout as well. But what, I see pictures of eyes. I see pictures of hearts that come through your framing of the camera. And I see pictures of parents with children or strangers with children that moves me every time. Talk about that commonality. Is that the type of thing that you hope that melts the heart of someone that only is filled with anger and deceit and wanting to put people down simply based on their differences? My, my photography is from another world. Uh, I don't know how much you or your audience has traveled. India, Bangladesh, the Dominican Republic, where I lived for four years and studied medicine and have gone back for 40 years. It's a different world. Explain, what does that mean? And they live in chaos, overpopulation. There's a, there's a, a, a religion is really important. Uh, devotion to God is really important. Uh, they don't pull out 50s from their wallet like we do. They don't need a new car. The conspicuous consumption that we live by doesn't really exist with the 3 billion people over there that I photograph. So it's a different ball game. I, I'm shooting... Uh, the belly and the beast. I mean, most of my work online is the real hard-edged stuff that I couldn't put in the book. I had to mollify the book, curate it so that it would be appealing to most of the people that hopefully will buy it. But I'm in the I'm in the dust. I'm in the heart of you know hell. Yeah. People that don't have uh, time. So I see a theme of a lack of clean water. I see a theme of a lack of infrastructure, of just paved roads that we're used to here. I see the huge differences of infrastructure and basics that we take for granted, no? Absolutely. I, people live in shacks and huts. Some people live in the room uh, underneath roofs, uh, rooftops. The most people that I shoot, well, a great deal of the people that I shoot don't have a home. They have their hands. Some of them don't even have hands. The, the, my my uh, social activism campaign for leprosy portrays a lot of people with leprosy that are thrown in the garbage bin. So I, I care about the people I shoot. It's not a selfie thing, a festival. It's there's a connection philosophically and photogenically. Do you keep in touch with the subjects that you shoot? They wouldn't have a way to do that. My friends and colleagues, you know, I also lecture. I'm a psychiatrist, so I lecture psychiatrists in other countries. So those are the people I keep in touch with, but the people I shoot, they, they don't have water in their house. They don't have electric. They have to walk miles in the Indian desert to get water. Can you tell me a little bit about this photograph? I don't remember taking it, but it's family, it's love, it's it's living uh, with very little, it's living with not without materialism. People are together. 
They're not running and looking at iPhones. They, I don't see earbuds in their ears. I see mother, child, grandfather or father just enjoying being with each other. And I don't see a lot of that now because I live in the East Village and all I see are hands and phones. And they bump into me, so I'm a little aggravated. You know what I mean? Well, tell me about what, what, well, here's the irony. So you say you have your machine gun, which I mean, you're probably describing with the speed in which you could take uh, photographs now with a digital camera. Um, obviously not the, the war definition of, of the apparatus. However, it's a technology that's allowing you to take these amazing photos and open up hearts. And at the same time, a smartphone when used correctly, can also take some pretty amazing photographs today, maybe not exactly or, or the same quality of which you're taking with your professional camera, but it has allowed many people, I argue back a little bit, to take uh, amazing photographs as average citizens around the world that they get their hands on one. In addition to that, in dealing with the social justice portion of what you do, uh, citizen journalism has become alive in catching the wrongs in society, including some of the ways that your your subjects are treated, by pressing a record button on the same smartphone that's in someone's pocket and seconds later sending it in an email to a journalist who might write about it. Right. I agree with everything you said, but over in uh, Calcutta, you're not going to see all that. And in that's Nataka, right. So I'm in a different world. I'm. You can't shoot, uh, you can't use an iPhone to shoot those pictures. Looking at the 240 pictures in your book, walk us through the four or five top countries of photographs of which we're seeing. We talked about India, we talked about uh, Bangladesh. Walk us through what else, what other countries are in these 240 photos. My second home, the Dominican Republic, is, is featured in there. I mean, I've been in the Haitian Bates. When I say Bates, I say that Haitians in the millions came over to the Dominican Republic, same island, to get work. And I've grown, I've really shoot that mostly when I'm in the Dominican Republic. Although there's poverty in the Dominican Republic, wherever Dominicans are living, but Haiti, the Haitians that live are living without water, electricity. They're not allowed to go to school for the most part. So that that's my interest when I photograph but, uh, Morocco, a poor nation, but gorgeous. So, so there's a, a contrast there with people that are basically, it's a developing nation. Uh, Tunisia, same situation. Uh, I, I, what else is in Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, Egypt, did I say that already? Talk to us about Egypt for a second, which is obviously in Africa, is claimed often just as the Middle East, whatever that means, but obviously those from Egypt, historically understanding Egypt, Mother Africa is where it's located. What's happening in Egypt these days? And what do you want us to take from the photos that we see? The pandemic has taken tourism from Egypt and I mean, we're talking billions of dollars and people's jobs. I mean, 
plus there's been some, uh, you know, terrorist attacks on tourists in Egypt. I shot Egypt in the early 2000s, was treated royally. However, there's civil problems there because of the politics there. People have been killed. Um, Mubarak was taken out of power. I mean, we can go on and on about politics. I'm interested, I want to talk about the photography. Um, Giza, immensely important, empty. Pyramid sitting there waiting, crying, the tears from the pyramid, empty uh, because of the pandemic and because of terrorist attacks. So politics and uh, man's inability to be at peace with each other. And that's part of my book. We do have bonds that we overlook. So we'd rather use machine guns than love. I see a lot of elderly. I love talking about the young and I love talking about the elderly because those are just two age groups globally that I'm fascinated by. Um, the elderly are throughout your photos, and I love seeing the juxtaposition of, let's say, a man in his 80s with a young boy or girl who might be three. Um, and it brightens up my face to see them smiling or hugging or just on the back of a mom, and then uh, it seems like an elderly member of the family is walking alongside. Um, you must be interested in that, too, because there's a number of photos like that, so it brings a smile to my face when I see it, and we'll show some of those photos now in the episode. Um, talk me through that. When you're behind your lens, talk a little bit photographically now. Take us behind the lens. How do you choose your subject? How do you frame it? There's a lot of lighting. There's a lot of beautiful colors. Tell us how to be a photographer for one shot as an example now. And let's say we're trying to shoot that grandpa with, or great grandpa with three-year-old in a shot like we're describing. Okay, I'm, I'm trying not to be braggadocious or anything, but experience, instinct, technique certainly helps. It's not the camera. So everybody, right. everybody stop worrying what I use and whatever you use. The best thing you have is what's in your hand. You feel a bond with the person, the people, and love. We're all bonded by love. It's unconscious. Sometimes it's subconscious. Then it turns to lust. That's just a psychiatric opinion. I'm allowed to do that because I have uh, dibs on being a psychiatrist. But there are scenes that are beautiful and uh, they just hit my eye. And I, I know that using digital, you can take a million photos and throw uh, 999,000 away. So that's opened up a whole new conversation of, of how we don't need film anymore. People that are, you just, when I'm thinking of a photograph that you've just mentioned, I, I don't know if it's the same one, but the transaction of love, bonding, and how important that is, how it's not neglected, how it's shown, how it's portrayed. Uh, we're kind of like this, if I could get myself on the camera all day long, especially where I, I mean, really. Uh, uh, and so uh, the Eastern world believes in devotion, religion, family, important, really important. Uh, and we are, I don't think we are. I mean, how many friends of yours goes to church or shul or Buddhist temples. Yeah, I mean, I have some. 
Uh, I know a lot of people only 10 years ago that were going more. I believe uh, faith, in my opinion, in this country and in the circles that I run in, um, people are not leaning on their faith. They have more problems. They have more stresses. They have more anxiety. Yes, your profession helps in some ways. I don't know anyone that's within your profession, though, that doesn't at least somewhat honor those that practice faith and see its impact on people's health and people's anxiety and people's issues and people's understanding to open up hearts and think beyond self. Quite frankly, I would question a therapist of any kind who did not honor that, even though they might not be a faith and believer themselves. Um, but if love, so I want to ask a couple of questions. I'll ask three more questions. First one is, what is your definition of love beyond the photography, your overall experience? You've done a lot of different things in your life. Um, if you're angry, if you know you are an oppressor, if you know you are a narcissist and you're watching this episode, what is your message for someone to hopefully get a seed to think about love in their heart with your definition of what love is? Hmm. It's tough, but love sometimes is what, what, what would it be like without the other person around? I mean, love, how would you feel when there's a crisis in your life? I think faith might enter in. You're, you're asking someone for help that you've never even asked before. So fear, but we don't do it on, practice it on a daily basis. And I think that's the difference. As far as what love is, it's not lust. Now we can go on and on, but you want me to keep these things short. So love is not lust. Teenagers that are, uh, you know, I love him. No, you don't. Love is learning about another person's need and forgetting about yourself for that moment. I think that's part of love. Giving without condition. Uh, whew, when I hear my childhood, all right, I'll stop. But giving of yourself without thinking about yourself, it's part yeah. of yeah. It's not jealousy. It's not uh, how many things you can do with what you have or how big or short. It's listening, learning, caring, and showing that you do. Empathy, sympathy. Yeah. Giving someone what they need at that moment, no matter how it hurts you. No matter how yeah. you hate, no matter how, as a father, how much you hate your daughter for wearing things, and you got to give her time and understanding. So that's love. Sacrificial. In the Christian faith, they use the term agape love, which is beyond self, something that only God can teach you what to do as a perfect being and for you to seek to mirror that immensely sacrificial, only for others point of view of heart. Um, next question. There's a big difference in this world between the genders. 
I see photos of men, I see photos of women, I see photos of young girls, I see photos of young boys. What message do you want people to get from the differences between genders in your photos from the same perspective of humanity and seeking equality and the ability to think from another person's perspective? There are areas around the globe, including those of which you, you visit, where let's say men aren't so nice to women, and that's being kind to just describe it that way. We know some of the atrocities that are happening, not just in this country, but abroad in those countries. Abuse, absolute lack of equality, uh, thought less than of an animal. Um, what do you want people to get from the photos that they see of both men and women in your book from that perspective? That's a deeply, well thought out question, but from my photography, I mean, do you want me to comment on that the man is here and the woman is here? Yes, mostly in the developing nations in India, Bangladesh, I mean, there's no question about it that uh, men pray, women are not allowed to pray with, with men. I mean, the, the difference is, is immense. Um, you will not see women in the streets walking without a veil or looking at you. They will look down on the streets. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting concept, the, the female and the male and the, in India and Bangladesh. Um, there's differences and there's like unwritten scripts by which they will follow. Men will only be with men in the street talking. The, a woman will not usually be a part of that. Final question. The bonds we share, 240 photos, 40 years around the globe. You have one soundbite, one message for the world that encapsulates the book overall. The reason why you want them to buy this, the reason why you want them to look through the photos is what reason? Well, it gives you an intimate look at humanity and the central theme of the book, which I, I've stated is what the commonality of humanity, how really no matter what your skin color, creed, race, color, culture, we're pretty much more similar than different. And what unites us as human beings is stronger than the borders that divide us. And uh, so that lends itself to tolerance, education, understanding, get rid of this bigot, this bigoted, you know, this is crap. I mean, uh, I don't look at a person by their color. I never have. Um, and and basically- How is that so, Glenn? How were you raised for that to not be so? I believe you and I know you, but- I don't know if you want to include this. Yes. I was married to a woman in the Dominican Republic for two wonderful years um, and brought her back. You know, I helped her get a residency. You know, so that, you know, a, a Jewish household, forget about it. You know, I mean, you're taught to, to mitcha, that's a Yiddish word, to, 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 to torture. But uh, I, saw, I saw the light and, uh, you know. What do you mean you're taught to torture? Explain that to me. I knew Martin Luther King's speeches before anybody. So, you know, I'm I consider myself, you know, a little bit more educated than, than lots of people. I and mean, look, I think it's inherent bigotry. 
In a Jewish household, how is that different traditionally? I want to know. You want to know? Well, uh, a lot of a lot of Jewish people believe that um, they've worked hard for what they had, and they went through a Holocaust, and that they feel like uh, people need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and not take and take and take and take and be felt sorry for because Hitler was killing them by the by the millions. So. I, I think that's the mentality. It's sort of in the, uh, you know, the, 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 con the subconscious of a lot of Jewish, elderly Jewish people. I think things are changing. But. And in a city like New York, with a large Jewish population and a large black population and a large people of color population, and someone who was born in Brooklyn, was brought up in Brooklyn, some of that still exists, sadly, uh, but the, the, the less we talk about it, that's why I said let's talk about it for a minute and include it in the show, we're not going to accomplish this unless we talk about it. Humanity, even though it might be a difficult conversation, right? And to what you said, I answered this. I could absolutely try and put myself in the shoes of someone who has that perspective. I would hope that in hearing that perspective and saying, I'm sorry you went through that. I'm sorry that your family lived through that. I'm sorry that uh, it at times has hardened you in that way. Can I tell you my story? And then hopefully that heart will open up and then we'll see some more similarities than differences and maybe some differences from that of which our parents or grandparents taught us and we might want to keep in touch and have a new bond. I've seen some of that in this pandemic. And I think it's part of the solution that can start with photographs and conversations and can get to that humanity. But it's pushing past that fear of saying, ah, even to me, we've known each other. My God, do we want, do we want to go there? Yeah, that's what the whole thing is about. Now, of course, I'm a crisis guy. My whole job is to hope to make someone comfortable enough to talk about things that they've hidden and, and, and been afraid of their entire life to help them solve those problems for themselves and others. But I think that's what your book's about. That's why I wanted to have you on the show, which is if it spurs us to have the conversations that we've been running from, to talk about our differences, to then be able to see our similarities in all of these stories in this book, there's some kind of commonality that should pull us in, whether it's a, I got a grandmother too, or, oh my gosh, that kid is cute, and even though they're from another country, it makes me think of my kid, and I haven't talked to them today, let me get on the phone, or I haven't talked to my grandmother in a long time, and it's been the pandemic, and I haven't seen her in a year, and I see a picture of a child looking at a grandmother, sometimes it's as simple as that. That's what I think your book is about. You're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, expertise, keen eye, machine gun, quick digital finger, as well as all your techniques that allowed you to get the 240 photographs that probably came from 2,400 photographs or more with your digital camera. And thank you for allowing us to see the authentic world versus one that is false.
My God, I agree with that. I appreciate you. All right, well, thank you very, very much for having me. This has been so wonderful. Thanks, Glenn. Right, thank well, you. You're a great man, a great photographer, a great psychiatrist, a great medical professional, and we thank you for all you do. I could sit here for hours. Okay? I mean, here <laughs> I, I get the Thanks a lot. God bless you. God bless everybody. Thank you. Buy the book. Thanks, Glenn. The website. The website has a lot of my real hard stuff and explains. Tell us the website. It's on Flickr. Just Google Glenn Losack. Just Google Glenn Losack. L-O-S-A-C-K. We will do so. Thank right, you thank so much, sir. God bless. Thank you. Thanks very You're much. You're welcome. And this week's t-shirt is a t-shirt from the musical group Public Enemy. And if you don't know who Public Enemy is, you got to Google it. One of the best bands in the history of hip-hop. Very, very socially proactive as activists in general. Black Lives Matters, before Black Lives Matters ever existed. Look them up. Important t-shirt, important group. On this week's Rep Doc Opinion, look, Dr. Glenn Losek, great guy, amazing photographer, terrific book, social activism through photography, should wake us up to think how are we more alike than different in a world of hate, in a world of difference, in a world of other, how do we think of family, love, and togetherness in a very different way? A book of photography is going to help us to do that. Buy it today on Amazon. The Bonds We Share by Dr. Glenn Losa. And thank you for watching Reputations in Crisis with Mike Paul, the Reputation Doctor. Please follow us on our YouTube channel. And you can also hear us on our podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Remember, less head work, more heart work. Peace. We'll see you next week.